I, uh, it's a good thing I'm teaching on the resurrection today, otherwise I would have to change what I was preaching and preach on the resurrection after that song. Um, man, that was great, guys. Thank you so much for leading us in that. Um, hey, so it was really fun having a Saturday night service. It was very different. It had that strange feeling of like when you go to the movie, go to the movies during the daytime, and then it throws you off because you come outside and it's light outside versus dark, which it's supposed to be when you come out of a movie. Anybody else? Is that just me? Anybody? Okay, so anyway, so I, I, that was what it felt like leaving church last night. It was dark. It just, it just felt strange, but it was really neat. We had a great time uh, with everybody. And in fact, um, after last night, uh, my wife mentioned, you know what, the sermon that you gave, you might clarify, just in case there's people in the room, what Easter is. And so let me just take a second. There's a lot of strange things that we as Christians do. Uh, There's a lot of weird stuff we do. And we try to make sure that when we do them, you know why we're doing it or or what it means or what it's about. And so that's a great reminder to me that there may be people here today who don't really get what Easter is all about. And so, so you'll know, we celebrate, obviously, the most famous Christian celebration in America is usually Christmas. Um, which is meant to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, God incarnate, coming and experiencing life as a human being. But if it was just some baby who showed up on earth, no matter how important he was, that would not be worth that kind of celebration. Um, This was, in fact, God himself coming and experiencing life as a human being. And then at the end of experiencing life as 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 a human being for about 30 years, then taking on not only the, the form of man and, and the experience and nature of man, but also what it means to be a servant, and not just a servant, but a servant to death, and not just death, but death on a cross. And this week, the Passion Week, is when we focus on the last week of Jesus' life to celebrate that, which includes he was alive, and then he wasn't alive. He was dead. And if, Romans, if the Romans declare you dead, you're dead. That's pretty easy. To, if the Romans knew anything... It was dead because they killed lots of people. They declared him dead. He was dead. And then later he was alive again. He was resurrected. And what we celebrate on Easter Sunday is that resurrection. Today, I'm going to take that resurrection and unpack it and magnify and multiply it out to another resurrection that we're going to talk about this morning. But part of the tradition for Christians for a long, long time has been a special greeting on Sunday morning, Easter morning. And in fact, it's been testified to already this morning by Josh and then the first service, Caden and Caroline and Izzy in their baptism, um, that in fact, Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. Hallelujah. We got to celebrate this week the Passover Seder. If you've never got this Passover, um, which is done in a form of a dinner, it's called the Seder. And so we um, it was a very exciting time. It's online if you would like to watch it and see what we did um, with all of us here. It's a great experience. It reminds us so much of what was going on during this Passion Week, um, during this last week of Jesus' life 2,000 years ago, and what it means is so beautifully unpacked in that. Um, and also, I want to make sure that you knew, um, just in case, especially for the members here, um, we have another ministry that meets for church on Sunday mornings on our property realizing that many of you may not know that. We did that for years with the Cross Church that they met here for several years at noon in the afternoon. And uh, that was Stephen Young is their pastor. He came and preached here just about a month ago. 
And, uh, and now we have another ministry called Saints and Soldiers, and they meet in the student ministry building, and their target audience, their target ministry, you can be praying for them, is not just unchurched people, but people who are opposed to church, who don't feel welcome in church, and that's their target audience. And so be praying for the Saints and Soldiers ministry as they reach out not only to unchurched people, but people who are typically unfriendly to church, and then inviting them to come and experience discipleship and the gospel and the love of Christ there. And so um, be, be praying for them as well. That's the Saints and Soldiers ministry. I want to make sure in case you see them around that you know who that is. Um, you can thank them for partnering with us in ministry. <clears throat> Today I want to talk about um, I'm going to unpack this idea a little bit differently. I want to start with the fact that it seems to me like I see even more so, more often nowadays, maybe it's just because of social media or something, but this picture of life as a cycle, as a circle, it's just something that repeats itself over and over again. It's this, and then it's the same thing again, this worldly perspective on time. In fact, there are world religions that teach that time is nothing more than a circle, this feeds into a limited understanding of life. Life is just the same thing over and over and over again. And, and I suppose there's a certain truth to that for some populations. Unfortunately, they, they live a life like that, this empty, circular, cyclical life. There's the, the only hope they have, the very praises that they praise, um, their liturgy of life, even sometimes the only prayer that they pray in a given week is, thank God, it's Friday. It's a cycle. It's the same thing over and over again. Well, it's Friday. We're working for Friday. Friday is where I find my hope. And then I have the weekend for a day or, or maybe a couple of days, and then it's back to work, and it's, then it's the same thing the next week, and it's the same thing the next week, and it's the same thing the next week. And if your life looks like that and feels like that, if you're experiencing life like that, you may be doing something wrong. The truth is there's more to life than this. And, and <clears throat> when we talked about this on the podcast this week, uh, Redford pointed out, and this is just worse right now because we've been through a year of survival-type thinking. And survival thinking by nature kind of creates a cyclical pattern to what you're doing. It tends to be time to get food again. Now it's time to get water again. Now it's time to boil water again. Now it's time to, to, to protect myself again. Now, now it's time to take measures to not get sick again. Now it's time to melt snow, to flush toilets again. Anybody? Yeah, that was, that was an adventure, huh? What does this represent? It represents this idea that my only, the best thing I have for a hope is a cycle that is hopeless. <clears throat> and yet this is how so many people live. Humans have a natural tendency to drop into cycles, circular ruts that they get stuck in. In fact, some of you right now may be going, Pastor, you're the one who's caught in a rut, right? You're caught in a rut. Every time I'm here, you're preaching on the resurrection. You're caught in some kind of a rut. I mean, sometimes maybe you're preaching on Jesus' birth, but that's it. It's either one of those two things. Every time I'm here, you're preaching on, and, and the truth is you're, someone is in a rut. You're right. Someone is. So this is a, recognizing this is not what's meant, this unhealthy cycle of addiction and abuse and broken relationships, but life doesn't actually repeat. It's moving towards something. Even if it seems to you to repeat, it doesn't actually repeat. It's moving towards something, whether you like it or not. We're all moving from the past to the future at one second per second. And, and the past is behind us. We, one of the illusions that I love to talk about is, is the illusion that, that clocks and watches make of a, of a circular nature of time. It just isn't true. Friday night, I said sundial, and, uh, and no one, everybody was just confused for a while, and, and no one corrected me, which please correct me if I say something. 
I meant hourglass, not sundial, and those aren't the same thing. Um, an hourglass actually tells us more the truth of time. You turn that thing over and the sands slip through that little hole and they're not going back up. Every moment that we live is a moment that's now in the past. We're moving towards something. It's not just going to repeat and come back around again. The same thing isn't. Of course, there are cycles, there are undulations, there are seasons. I'm certainly not denying that. That's part of what it means to live in as a human being in God's creation. In fact, we're going to talk about, again, once again, the birth pangs model of the movement of history. And so there are some things that have a cyclical feel to them, that have an undulation to them, that have a pattern to them or seasons to them. But the truth is we're moving in a direction. We have a purpose. There is a destination. I believe at the intuitive level we know this is true. We make lots and lots and lots of decisions based on this assumption, and we're right to do so. Unfortunately, sometimes all we're doing is trying to numb out or noise out the truth that this is coming, that there is a destination. I love weddings, but part of why I appreciate funerals so much is it reminds us of the truth of this. There's a destination. There is an end point. Death is inevitable. People who we've loved have already died. They've already gone on. Sometimes the truth is this place, this world, this life stinks. It hurts. It's rolled in pain. If you're a human being, you have felt the ice pick sinking, fist around the heart feeling of fear and betrayal and pain. It's an awful feeling, the empty feeling of helplessness and the longing created by loss. If you're a human, you've felt for very long, if you've been alive very long, you've felt all of those, sometimes all at once. This is the reminder that this is not our home. If it isn't, what else is there? Well, the answer is there is a destination beyond that. And again, your thought might immediately jump to death. Death is that destination. It is, after all, the final destination, right? After all, we see in Hebrews 9, 27, the writer of Hebrews says, and just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. That feels pretty final, doesn't it? Until you keep reading the next verse, verse 28, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. Not to deal with sin, because they've done that, that was finished, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for Him. This is a biblical concept, concept wrapped up in the words, the day. Hebrews 10, 19-25, which we have referenced numerous times recently as we're trying to come out of exile. We're trying to remember what it's like to live not in exile. We're trying to get comfortable with sitting next to people. We're trying to get comfortable with being back from being isolated. <laughs> And, and so we've looked at this passage regularly, not surprisingly. Let's read it again. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh. Man, there's so much to unpack there. I wish I would love to. Maybe someday we will. Since we've had a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. You can see we've, why we've come through this passage over and over again. Doing some research, interrupt myself here, doing some research this week, um, I saw that 
the Pew Research Center had said that people are slowly, progressively getting back into their churches. It's up about 10% over this time last year. Slowly but surely, people are getting back into their churches. However, only about 60% of people, this was just about a month ago, about 60% of people who regularly attended church before COVID have attended in the last month. There's still a lot of room to grow. There's still a lot of coming back that needs to be done. And only about 50% of evangelicals in the U.S. intended to be at church on Easter today. That's down from the normal 70%. Now, I don't know how your brain works, but the minute that I read that, I thought, 30% of evangelicals don't go to church on Easter? That was my first thought. I was like, wait a minute. I don't, I don't know how you define evangelical, but I don't know. It seems like mixed up in the word evangelical is goes to church on Easter. Like that's, some, that's, just, that's a weird definition for me that blew me away. But the thought that 30% miss on a regular year, but that 50% were not intending to come this year. Now, maybe some of you did. Barna researches, Barna's research last year during the COVID crisis indicated that those who were engaged in church during the crisis were less bored, less anxious, more optimistic, and overall more healthy. There's something powerful about the community of believers gathering together. There's something irreplaceable about the community of believers gathering together. We do not want it to become the new normal that you aren't here. It's not as good when you're gone. We like when you're here. It's more fun when you're here. It's better when you're here. We like for people to be here. Obviously, if it is a legitimate COVID concern, and that's the motivation for not attending, well, that's easily tested by looking at your life and seeing what else you're avoiding. If you're not avoiding things that are a lot like church, but you are still avoiding church, maybe there's a different motivation going on there. But if that's the case, if the real reason is a COVID issue, then I would say continue your hiatus until you believe it's safe for you to come back. But don't get in the habit. Don't let that be the new normal. Not having you here is not as good as having you here. Let's go back and finish up because that's not the point I was making from this passage. Verse 24, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day draw near. This was the phrase I wanted you to see. This concept of gathering together, of living in community is dependent on this concept of the day. Once again, the birth pangs concept is very valuable to us. Um, we don't live in cycles. Ladies, I'm sure most of you, all of you who have had children are glad that birth pangs aren't just a cycle that goes on forever and ever and ever, right? It has an end point. It, 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 it expands. There's an undulation. It's stronger, and then it's weaker, and then it's stronger, and then it's weaker, and then it's stronger, and then it's weaker. And that's the picture that Jesus and others use scripturally to show us the idea of God working through history. When we talk about the day, there are lots of days. In fact, any time that God steps in to the human history and flexes, that can be called a day of the Lord. What we're talking about when we're talking about the New Testament version, <coughs> most often, is the last one of these that will come in the future. There will come a last birth pang day of the Lord. It will be the last one for earth and for mankind. If death isn't the destination... If that isn't the moment that we're working toward, then what is? And the answer is the day. There is a day that we're working toward. There's a special thing. <coughs> it's like a colored egg 
that's hidden constantly all throughout Scripture. It's hidden in the songs that we sing and in the greetings that we have. Be listening for this term in every aspect of the gospel, this idea of the day. The world around us sees the death. The world around us sees the emptiness. It sees the cycle. It sees the addiction that won't go away. It sees the abuse that won't end. Here are the empty answers. It looks around us and goes, hey, we've got answers for you. It looks at the corpse of the, mo- of the typical human life and says, we know what that corpse needs. It needs to be dressed up. It needs makeup on it. That's what will that's fix this. The world looks at the corpse. I don't, I don't know about you guys. Among the weird things that human beings do, one of them is when we do funerals, is that we do that. I remember in my uh, 20s, the first funeral I ever spoke at was my grandfather's. And, and so we went to my, when my grandfather had died, we went to the funeral, and my grandmother was there standing with me by the front of the church, and they had the casket, and the casket was open, and there was my grandfather, Holland, went by Hop. And, and, uh, and people would walk up and say the weirdest things. They'd walk up and say things like, he looks so good. And I was sitting with my grandmother going, what? No, he doesn't. He looks dead. Like, he looks terrible. Like, oh, what are you talking about? This was my gra- if this is the first time for you to meet my grandfather, you might say that. If you'd ever met him before, you would go, wow, he looks dead. I mean, it just, that doesn't look anything like Hop. Nothing at all like him. Among, among other things, he's wearing makeup. And let me tell you something my grandfather never did in life. <laughs> right? Like, this was nothing like him. Hop was gone. That there, was, there was nothing there but a dressed-up corpse. And I, I get the psychological reasons, believe me, why we do that stuff. But understand, that's the best the world has to offer. If you go to the world with your empty, shallow, uneternal life, the world's going to say, you know what you need? You need to dress that thing up. You need a different type of this or a different type of that. You need, you need a better this or a more of that. If you, could just, if you could just get a nicer this or a more expensive that, see, then your life would be really dressed up as a corpse. I'm telling you, this is the best has to offer, the world has to offer. Truth is, a corpse doesn't need dressing up. What it needs is a resurrection. And that's the power that we get to celebrate on Easter Sunday. Not only that Jesus was resurrected, but that we will be. There's nothing so dead that Jesus cannot raise it. There's nothing so dead it can't be resurrected by his power. Call no one without hope for whom Christ has died. This is the, this is the thing we run into. Spurgeon, I went back and listened to one of uh, somebody reading one of Spurgeon's uh, uh, sermons from 1856 about the resurrection. And in it, he notes how strange it is to him that the gospels and the apostles talk about the resurrection all the time. It's just woven into their very speech. And yet how rare it is for our sermons to be about the resurrection. I love the resurrection. When I, when I get to go teach someone somewhere and I only get to teach one time, my favorite thing is to talk about the resurrection in the new Jerusalem. It's my, if I only get one shot I feel like that's, there's something so powerful about that. Listen to Jesus' teaching in Luke 14. How naturally he just weaves this in. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. I mean, it just slips out of his mouth. 
He's talking about something totally else, and yet the resurrection is the motivator there. In fact, I, I have to comment. Every few, I know there was one of these just recently. Every, every two or three times a year, I feel like, some secular media outlet will feel the need to comment on the fact that Christians are worthless to the world because we're so heavenly-minded, because our end-times theology, our eschatology, is about the end of everything and a resurrection and a heaven, so we don't, we're not worried about earth. We're not worried about the condition of human beings. I'm telling you, it gets published two or three times a year by one media outlet or another. You'll notice, by the way, when they do this, they never cite any sources or any statistics. They can't because it's raw sewage. The, the, the resurrection itself is exactly what motivates us. I've said and will say again, I will happily pit the work that has been done for humanity in the name of Jesus Christ against any other source of charity. In fact, I'll tell you what, I will happily pit the work that has been done to improve the world and to help people in the name of Jesus Christ against all other forms of charity combined. And I still feel like the gospel will easily win out as a practical source of taking care of people's needs around the world. You go anywhere in the world, if you've traveled much and you've done mission work, you show up and you think you're bringing Jesus with you, and lo and behold, he's already there. Almost anywhere you can go to, to work with or minister to the most hurting, backwards, broken people anywhere on the planet, and there is already a ministry dedicated to helping just them in the name of Jesus Christ. It, it, is, it is the role of the church to do that. So when you hear that junk, don't buy it. Don't buy it. The truth is the resurrection is precisely what allows us to give away so much money. It's precisely what allows us to give away our lives. This resurrection is, because listen, the money, it's going away anyway. But it's only got a matter of time before it burns. So I might as well do something with it. Hopefully that's your mindset as well. My life is going to end anyway. Let's do something with it. If you're living a boring, repetitive, cyclical Christian life, I submit you're doing it wrong. That's not what God has in mind for us. That's not this, we're working towards a resurrection, and our lives should indicate that. When we read through, the, a few years ago, there was a young man who I was discipling, uh, young, strong, fit, good-looking, really smart, and we were, just, I was just, we, were working, we were working, and he came up and he goes, um, hey, I'm thinking about going on the mission field, and in fact, I reached out to the Baptist uh, mission organization, and it turns out they've got this specific type of ministry that you can do um, that's mission reaching out to people who they will only allow unattached men uh, who are of good health to go because the chances of being isolated, getting sick, or dying are so high they will only send unattached young men to do it. And he said, so that's what I'm going to do. Why would anybody do that? It can't just be to improve their life or bump up their resume. He did that and did that and got sick, by the way, very sick, reaching out to these lost people in the name of Jesus because he knew there was a resurrection coming and there was a day when the shepherd would come back and he wanted to be there to enjoy with these people who he had gotten to know. Here's the Apostle Paul talking about this again, Acts 24. But this I confess to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, that was what Christianity was at first, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets, having a hope in God, which these men them themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. The Apostle Paul is building everything on this. 1 Thessalonians 4. 
16 through 18, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. This resurrection is a future event. And we can have confidence in it because it is linked to a historical event. It's non-negotiable in Christian doctrine. This is not just some cute concept. The Christian faith has a strange, pragmatic, and even logical aspect to the teachings of the end time and of eternity. Everything else is built upon that. Paul makes this very, the Apostle Paul makes this very clear in the passage he wrote to the Corinthian church, the famous 1 Corinthians 15, which is about the resurrection. And I'm going to take some sections from it to teach through very quickly. 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 12, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead... How can some of you say there is no resurrection from the dead? Apparently that was a problem <clears throat> in Corinth. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, listen to how important this is. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Listen, our faith is utterly dependent on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Completely dependent on it. We are found to, in fact... If Christ has not been, we, verse 15, we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. He's going to say it again. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you're still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, listen to this, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. If Jesus Christ was not resurrected, this is why many apologists focus on that. This is all we want to talk about. Let's talk about the resurrection. Is there a God and did he raise Jesus from the grave? Because if, those two, if there is a God and he raised Jesus from the grave, I feel like we're at a good starting point for Christianity. But if not... It is worthy of being mocked. We're pathetic. If Jesus was not resurrected from the grave, that's we're to be pitied. Verse twenty. But in those, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruit of those who have fallen asleep. See, the resurrection of Jesus means something. In fact, it means a lot of things. It means that Christ had been victorious over sin. At the end of a boxing match, the one left standing is the winner. Death and hell and Satan. And sin went toe-to-toe -to -toe with Jesus. And in the end, he was the only one standing. It also means that death can be defeated. It can be overcome. It isn't the final destination, as it turns out. It also means that the Father has signed off on who Jesus was and what he claimed. If Jesus was a liar, then God would not have raised him from the dead. Jesus' message and his gospel was the right one. Therefore, God raised him from the dead to emphasize, to prioritize this message. As the Apostle Paul just said, it also means our sins are gone. We are free to live a resurrected life. And the Apostle Paul here points out that it also means there is such a thing as a resurrection for us as well. The defense of Jesus' resurrection on that Sunday many, many years ago. <clears throat> We've done that before on an Easter, and I'm sure we'll do it again. I got to do it at Brook Hill this week. I got to lay out a logical defense of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'm convinced more and more as I study it and look for ways to poke holes in it. I'm convinced more and more 
that the most rational answer, the most reasonable answer to what happened a couple of thousand years ago in Jerusalem is that Jesus of Nazareth, called the Christ, was alive, and then he was dead, and then he was alive again. And all of the other options require way more faith for me. They don't make as much sense. They're not as rational as accepting that answer, that the truth is he was resurrected, and to trust in the resurrection of Jesus is to trust in God's promise to resurrect us. You see, when people in the past are raised from the dead, they were just brought back to life. The little boy raised by the prophet, the widow's son, he wasn't resurrected. He was just raised back to life. He died later. Lazarus and all the others in the New Testament, they were dead, and then God raised them to life, but he didn't resurrect them. They didn't have anything new. They were just going to die again, and they all did. At some point, Lazarus got old or got sick or got broken, and he died, just like all the rest of us, again. This isn't a resurrection like the one we're talking about. The Apostle Paul tries to clarify this difference with an analogy of a seed. I don't know about you guys, but I'm in the process right now of trying to get some seedlings to grow. took seeds from last year's plants. I'm trying to make them grow again. And the seeds, in the meantime, some have been sitting dried out for months. Some have been sitting in a freezer for months. They're dead. And yet they're going to go into the soil, some of them, not not as many as I would have wanted, but some of them, they go into the soil and they come out, and it's still, we would say it's genetically coming up the same thing, but it's not just a bigger and bigger and bigger seed. The seed doesn't just get big. No, a new thing is happening there. And the Apostle Paul says this, what you sow, in 1 Corinthians 15, 37, and what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain, but God gives it a body as he has chosen to each kind of seed, its own body. Verse 42, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown as a natural body. It is raised as a spiritual body. If there's a natural body, then there's a spiritual body. See, resurrected bodies are better. They're made of different stuff. Paul points out that these bodies are essentially made out of dust. You can can dress up that corpse as much as you want. Carl Sagan would call it star stuff. That's just dust. It's another word for dust. Biochemicals and bioelectronics, that's what's happening. But understand, not just our spirit is going to live forever. Not just our soul is going to live forever. But it will do so with a body. A new body made of stuff that lasts. Somehow connected to the old body. Apparently like the body that Jesus had between going to the Father and being resurrected and His ascension 40 days later. Again in 1 Corinthians 15. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall bear the image of the man of heaven. What exactly is that like? Don't know. Neither did the Apostle Paul. What Paul emphasizes here is function over form. We don't know the details. What we know is it will last. It will be made of something spiritual that never wears out, that never grows old. It will be better. Revelation 20 to the end would indicate that it doesn't get hurt or get sick or decay. See, that's not true now. The natural state of a human being, the natural state of our body right now is dead. If you don't input energy in the next three days or in the next six minutes, if you're talking about breathing, it will die. You're going to have to add something to it to keep it alive for the next week, the next day, even the next few minutes. 
the natural state of it is dead. Some of us are experiencing this more and more all the time. How many of you remember, I remember very distinctly as a kid thinking how strange it was that it took adults so long to stand up. <laughs> Any of you seen that? I mean, when I was a kid, I was like, man, come on, come on, come on. Like, what do you take us so long? And now that's me. I put my hand down on something, stand up, check in, make sure I'm not going to fall down. Okay, we're good. Now we can go. Like, that's what I'm doing. A few years ago, I went to the eye doctor. I used to have really, really awesome vision, a great source of pride. Uh, how foolish is that? I, like, as if I worked for it or something. <clears throat> great source of pride. I love to talk. To, when I was a kid, I loved to tell people I had whatever is better than 20, like 2040. Is that better? Or is 4020? Whichever one is better. I had that one. And apparently, I lost vision and I lost some vision, went to the eye doctor. She's like, no, no, you're good. You're still at 2020. You're fine. I was like, okay. Well, I mean, I guess that's okay. Nothing special, but okay, that's fine. And she goes, however, I'm surprised you're not wearing reading glasses. And I was like, no, I don't need reading glasses. I'm, I'm fine. I don't need the reading glasses. And it was not more than a couple of months later that I got a piece of glass stuck in my finger. And I realized that if I brought my finger close enough to my face to see the glass, it's a big pink blur. And if I pull my finger far enough back to, for it to be clear, now I can't see the glass. And I had a full-blown anxiety attack, realizing I had no way to get that glass out of my finger on my own. Like, I was trapped with that. It was, I was taken down by a piece of glass, and I couldn't do anything. And so I got on Amazon and bought like 20 pairs of these things, and I hid them all in my car and in my house and here at the church where I would have them, where I would never be without that. That would never happen to me again. And the reason I needed to do that when I didn't need to do that just a few months before is because this body is decaying. It's dying. Just like yours. We need something better than this. We need something that's not going to do that. We need a body that 2,000 years and 10,000 years and 100,000 years later is still going strong. So what's going to happen is the body that has been dead for 2,000 years, somehow God is going to raise that from the grave. He's going to raise that body from the dust and he's going to give it new life. How? I don't know. This really weirds some people out. Like this is, the, this is finally the thing that God can't do. It's strange to me when people do that. They're like, well, how's he going to bring that body together and give it new life? And I'm like, this is a God who speaks a star into existence and then sends it spinning through the cosmos. This is what's going to finally stump him? This is the, oh, well, I don't know how I'm going to do that, God says. Not, no, he's got this handled. Whatever it's going to be, he can bring together this body, however he sees fit, and reignite it. Daniel 12 says this, many of those... We just read this not that long ago when we were in Daniel. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Notice that first phrase, many will sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Souls don't sleep in the dust. Spirits don't sleep in the dust. Bodies do. See, our body will be resurrected and the eyes will be relit, and the spark will be reignited, and we will come alive in a way like we've never known before. The way it was always meant to be, abundant, powerful, extraordinary, completed, and free in ways that we can't even imagine. The next thing we're going to be teaching through and talking through on Sunday mornings is going to be Peter's letters. I'm excited about doing this. Even if you've not been a part of church, you've heard of Peter. You know about the Apostle Peter. The Rock. The original one. Before the actor. The Rock. He says this. 
In 1 Peter 1, verse, starting in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time, in the last day. I think there's only one right way for us to celebrate this here as we're wrapping up our Easter service. Confessing that this resurrection isn't merely a concept. It's not merely a future historical event. It is wrapped up in the very essence of a person. When we talk through John, one of my favorite passages in John, when Jesus goes to Bethany where Lazarus is dead, and he shows up there, and Mary and Martha come out to greet him, and he's talking to Martha, I think it's Martha, and Martha says, he says, Do you, he says um, oh, Jesus just declares, your brother will be raised to life. And Martha gives him the theologically correct answer. Right? You can tell she's an evangelical. That's exactly what we would do. Yes, Lord, I know that, that he will be raised again on the last day. See? My theology is sound. And Jesus says, I am the resurrection. I am the life. As C.S. Lewis said, how can someone know Jesus and not live forever? That's exactly the picture that was been created with his resurrection, with the baptisms of those who are joined in his death and burial and his resurrection to walk in the newness of life. My prayer is that everyone here will get to know him. The resurrection isn't a thing, it's a person. It's the man, God, Jesus Christ, who came and experienced life as a human being and died in our place and rose from the grave declaring victory. 